In a noisy, stressful world, quiet is the most valuable commodity. And the cabin of every Lincoln vehicle is designed with this principle in mind. Should you desire a little more melody, our available Revel Audio system will not disappoint. The very same engineering that makes for a whisper-quiet interior provides a studio-like setting in which to rock out to your music, finding harmony all around you. That's the power of sanctuary. And that's Lincoln. Revel and the Revel logo are trademarks of Harman International Industries, registered in the United States and other countries. Episode Q31 coming to you live from the Kevin Dahlman Studios here in beautiful Southern California. I'm John Hoven along with Dennis Bernstein here as always. DB, what's happening? That's three episodes in a row. I recognize the studio name. That's yeah. fantastic, Jim. Well, I, I've been sticking in the 2000s of late, so, uh, you know, we, we're not going back to the 70s or the 80s here, you know, when uh, your king's knowledge might be a little more, you know, hit or miss. But, uh, For sure. The Dahlman connection. I'm going to put this all together for you and everybody else, DB. Of course, he was an undrafted Please. defenseman. He played uh, the last 10 years, basically, in the KHL. But before that, he did play 154 games in the NHL. He played with the Bruins. He played with the Blues. And then he played with the Kings, of course, in the 06-07 and also the 07-08 seasons here in Los Angeles. Had a couple games in Manchester each of those two seasons as well. But here's the connection, and it's sort of multifaceted, so bear with me. Um, number one, I'm going to get this out of the out of the way right away. In a footnote, back in Q29, a couple episodes ago, uh, I mentioned that was the 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 Kep Brennan Studios, and uh, he was he. I, I mentioned in that program that he was repped by Scott Norton, Dustin Brown's former agent, and I was wrong. I, I was confusing Brennan and Dalman, so it wasn't Brennan that he repped. So my apologies, but he did rep uh, Dalman. Now, not only that, Dustin Brown played with Dahlman uh, back in Guelph, and uh, he was a little bit of a, of a cult hero 
Um, before turning pro, Dahlman finished as Guelph's all-time leader in games played, 268. That's a lot of junior hockey games. Uh, all-time leader in points at 260 and all-time leader in penalty minutes at 246. He was also named the Rookie of the Year for Guelph back in 98-99. So um, those two guys were there together. I'm not sure if uh, if Scott Norton helped drive him to Guelph or if uh, he discovered him when he was in Guelph. That, that's a different story for a different day. You'd have to ask Norton about that. But here's the real connection. Our guest today is John Van Beesbrook. He was drafted by the New York Rangers in the fourth round of the 1981 NHL draft. Who did the Kings take in the fourth round of the 1981 NHL draft? Marty Dahlman, Kevin's uncle. How about that one? <laughs> that's great. All right. That's connecting the dots, Mary. You're that's, connecting the dots. That's what it's all about. So Marty Dahlman, the uncle of Kevin, taken in the same round, of course, as John Van Beesbrook. Now, you might be asking why John Van Beesbrook. Uh, people on the program uh, listening might remember him as a goaltender in the National Hockey League, and you certainly should have. Uh, probably most famously, I think, with the Florida Panthers, and, unless you're in the New York sort of tri-state area where he played a lot of his hockey. But uh, really, when hockey trading cards and everything sort of exploded, uh, there's, you know, you had, you had Beezer in that goldish helmet um, that was, you know, a pretty famous uh, sort of image. But really... Um, He's now with USA Hockey, uh, Dennis, and USA Hockey announced their training camp roster or their selection camp roster, as as it's officially called. Um, You have the evaluation camp that normally takes place in the summer, and then this is the selection camp, which takes place leading into the World Juniors. They invited 29 players, which is news in and of itself, because normally they would take more than that into the selection camp. Um, However, they wanted to take as few of players as possible so that there would be as few of cuts needed as possible. So this is an interesting strategy. The um, IIHF has expanded the World Junior rosters this year, which we also anticipate the NHL to do for the coming season. But they have gone up to a 25-man roster, which means there are going to be four cuts uh, from the group of 29. It does appear that the three LA Kings uh, prospects are fairly safe in Turcotte, Kaliev, and Faber. Um, so we can probably get into that a little bit. Uh, you know, overall, Dennis, just to kind of continue to set the table for the World Juniors, the Kings could send 11 players to the World Juniors in December. Um, that's that's crazy. I'll run through those names here in a second. But Team USA camp starts on December 6th. Stunning. That's ridiculous, Dennis. 11 players. I mean, last year we thought they had a ton, and they can actually top that number this year. So uh, Team USA camp starts on December 6th, and then the uh, exhibition games are going to get going around the 20th, and, of course, the tournament starts on the 25th. Uh, You can watch it all on NHL Network. But just let me run through some names here for you, Dennis. For Team USA, which is where they could have the most representation, Turcotte, Kaliev, and Brock Faber, and I've certainly been hyping Brock Faber um, uh, over the last month or so. He's just having an outstanding start to his college hockey season for Minnesota, and I thought he was a fantastic guest even here uh, on the program, DB. Oh yeah, he was he was he was perfect. He was really really good. But you mentioned I watched a couple of Minnesota games. He's been very prominent to play for the uh, Golden Gophers. Now we are uh, knock on wood. If everything works out right, DB, we're going to hit the Team USA trifecta here. We've already had Alex Turcott on. We've had Brock Faber on, and uh, Arthur Kaliev is scheduled to join us this Friday, so we can get the arty party going. I wanted to give you several days' notice so that you can ramp up and, and get your get your arty party ready. Uh, so that's scheduled to take place later in the week here on Kings of the Podcast. Over uh, for Team Canada. They would be represented by Jordan Spence and Quentin Byfield. And uh, we'll look to have Spence on the program after the tournament is over. Of course, we've already had Quentin Byfield. Uh, Team Canada had to shut things down. They were doing that extended 
training camp, but they've had to shut things down here due to some COVID cases, Dennis. Yeah, it's been tough. It's, it's, it's getting tougher, John. You know, this winter is going to be tough for us. But, yeah, I guess that was a, a good thing. So maybe they'll have a normal-sized, uh, normal-length train camp um, because they wanted to try, start early. But, yeah, they're shut down for two weeks, which is not surprising given where we are in the world right now. Yeah, not surprising at all. Good for some team bonding, though, to be able to spend some time and hang out and be quarantined. Um, hopefully those guys don't get sick of each other while they're all together there for a couple of weeks. They're young guys. You probably don't get sick of each other. Uh, what's the worst that could happen, right? They get into an argument over uh, playing Xbox or something. Um, yeah, Fortnite or something like that. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Uh, maybe they're on Twitch playing with Carlin or something. I don't know. Um <laughs> Team Team Sweden is scheduled to be represented, of course, by uh, uh, Tobias Bjornfoot. He'll probably wear a letter for Team Sweden. And then there's the possibility that uh, Granz will also make that team. Like Faber, he was selected by the LA Kings uh, here in the in the second round of the 2020 NHL draft. A, a little bit, uh, I'm getting some feelers that Granz is probably 50-50 on sort of making the team. Recently, he's had the stomach flu. He's missed some games. Um and that Sweden team is is typically a more experienced team, much like the Canadian right. or the U.S. team. So uh, not sure if this is his year. If not this year, of course, you can look for him to be part of Team Sweden next year. But Granz will certainly uh, make a push when Sweden uh, does open up their training camp, I would imagine. Um, for Team Finland, you have uh, Markkanen, the goaltender that they also selected in the 2020 draft, as well as another draft, a recent draftee, uh, Simon Tyvel. And uh, from what I hear, Markkanen is probably not going to make the team, um, but we'll have to wait and see when when Finland uh, puts things together. He would be their third goaltender, most likely, if you know, unless something happened, he would be their third goaltender. So um, we'll have to see how many. Uh, players, how many goalies and, and whatnot uh, Finland decides to bring to the tournament with a 25-man roster. Uh, one each on the Czech Republic team and the Slovakia team. Uh, Lukas Perik, uh, represented by the great Alan Walsh, he will be back for the Czech Republic. He was able to sneak into a game or two last year at the World Junior Tournament. He's expected to return in net. And then Kromiak, the kid from Slovakia that the Kings drafted uh, last month at the NHL draft. A ton of guys from the 2020 draft, so uh, this is great. Yeah. Get an opportunity to see those guys. But, man, the, the big horses are all up front for USA and Canada and Turcotte, Kaliev, and Byfield. No, yeah, and it's great to see because, you know, who knows when, when they play any other hockey, so the fact that they're getting up there and practicing and playing games is fantastic. Yeah, so it's worked out kind of interesting in the sense that each player sort of has their own story, right? Turcotte went over and trained in Berlin, uh, with right. with an AEG owned team, he trained there for a while. Then he came back to Los Angeles, and he's resumed resumed training with Kaliev um, here in LA at the Kings facility. And then Faber, of course, starting his college hockey season. Um, Spence was playing in the queue, uh, which interestingly enough is actually shut down now. So it's a good thing that he left for camp early and was able right. to get those games in. And then Byfield hasn't been doing anything, as he told us here uh, on the program a while back. Bjornfoot has been playing overseas. Granz, I mentioned, and then. Uh, a couple of those other European players uh, trying to get some games in. So, again, the uh, the tournament is scheduled to start officially on Christmas Day. Normally, it's the 26th of December, but this year they're going to start on the 25th. Is the last uh, Team USA does have a game on the 25th. Team Canada opens up on the 26th. We'll get into the schedule and all of that stuff as we get closer to the tournament. You can watch everything on NHL Network. And, DB, as I mentioned a few programs ago, from what I'm hearing, uh, NHL Network is looking to pick up the broadcasts of even the exhibition games, which will start the week before Christmas. So we could see Team USA and Sweden and Finland and Canada and some of these other teams uh, playing hockey here, what, in about less than three weeks, which would be pretty exciting. 
Yeah, we need it. Look, while the NHL and the PA try to figure out how to start the season, I think it's a great move by NHL Network to put hockey games on their network right now. So, yeah, even the exhibition games, I think we're all jonesing for hockey right now, John. So I think uh, a lot of our fans will be tuning in to watch the Silver League. All right. So on the other side of the break, Dennis, we will talk to John Van Beesbrook, who essentially is the general manager of USA Hockey. We'll talk about his experience with his staff in terms of trying to put this team together and what to look forward to at the upcoming World Junior Championships. Back after the break. This week at Macy's, get great deals on fashion and home essentials. Update your wardrobe with 20% off new spring shoes and sneakers. And 20 to 50% off fresh looks for him and her. Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection Bedding, now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. More at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. Second period of Kings of the Podcast. We're going to welcome in now somebody that uh, longtime hockey fans will certainly know. He played nearly 900 games in the NHL. He also hit the trifecta playing for the three New York area teams, meaning, of course, the Islanders, the Devils, and the Rangers. Uh, but we're here to talk about his exploits as an uh, executive with USA Hockey. His official job title is a long one. It is the Assistant Executive Director of Hockey Operations. He's also the GM of the National Junior Team. Talking about John Van Beesbrook. Beezer, welcome to the show. Yeah, good for good to ha- uh, be with you guys. Uh, how about that job title there? That's a that's a good one. I just prefer GM of the World Junior Team. Is that easier? I prefer that too. <laughs> Longer than my last name. <laughs> that's which is hard to do. Which is hard to do. Very uh, very difficult to do. Uh, look, look, we're here to really today talk about uh, what what we believe is the most exciting tournament in, in all of hockey, the World Junior Championships, which of course are coming up here uh, in, in about a month's time. The big announcement earlier this week of the uh, the the roster, the camp selection roster uh, or selection camp, excuse me, the selection camp roster yeah. for Team USA. Uh, Twenty nine players coming to camp. We'll get into that sort of thing, but um, maybe just give us a quick bridge before we get to Team USA and the World Juniors. A lot of our listeners, of course, will remember your playing days. But um, what's sort of the backstory about moving from being a player? You, you were then a GM in the USHL, I think, for about five years, and then in May of 2018 took over at USA Hockey. So can you just give us the quick backstory about how you moved from uh, strapping on the pads to, you know, wearing a suit and tie to the office? Yeah, I guess the quickest part of that backstory is um, kind of a sad one, actually, where everybody knows that Jim Johansson um, suddenly passed away at the age of 54, and Jimmy did such a great job with all our national teams. And um, at that time, I was a, a volunteer for USA Hockey on the on the junior side. As you alluded to, I was working in Muskegon in the USHL. And basically going along fairly uh, happily, uh, just getting on the player side of things, learning a lot. 
and uh, getting to know, um, you know, our best junior league in the United States and helping manage a little bit from my volunteer side, working with Jim Johansson on the ins and outs of how we could uh, develop players better in, in that kind of hockey operations uh, piece. And as you know, our national team development program, the 17s and 18s, as they call them, uh, out of Plymouth was a bit of a change as we purchased Arena, USA Hockey did, and then uh, now we have a home base. So a lot of things coming together. But the, the quick backstory uh, was after Jim had passed, uh, they approached me to consider doing the job. Um, I had a lot of uh, time spent in meetings and boardrooms uh, because we have a big board of, of um, more than 90 people on our board at USA Hockey. So you get to know wow. how things work in the inner workings of the organization. And they're not as complicated, but they're not simple either. So um, a lot of politics there, but mostly uh, the good-natured spirit of volunteers coming together with staff to get, get the job done. Now, usually, uh, just to uh, kind of – touch on the world juniors here a little bit putting COVID aside for just a minute this will be a two-part question um in a normal environment you, you've had an opportunity to go through this a couple of times now having joined USA Hockey in your current role back in in 2018 what normally would be some of the biggest challenges in terms of putting the selection camp uh, roster together yeah normally uh some of the biggest challenges are your last selections uh, because you would take it down to um, you'd have, you know, two more or three more weekends to evaluate players. But the difficulty um, would be that the players that are vying for the team that you had at camp are one thing. So the camp normally takes place in the summer, which we didn't have. Mm -hmm. So the difficulty normally is, is who's uh, coming from junior hockey to college, who's really popping and having a good year as a, as a college player. And then, you know, trying to accumulate all our data from the scouts, uh, statistical data analytics and see who's going to be a good fit for the team, uh, with our coaching staff and bringing those dynamics together are the normal challenges. Um, as we get to our, our normal start date of around December 15th. So this year is completely different. Yeah, and I guess that just sort of leads right into the obvious follow-up question, which is just this year with all of the different challenges that we have, you know, in, in the world, let alone in hockey, um, what have been some of the different challenges that you guys have had to experience in terms of trying to watch players on tape uh, that, you know, that's that's dated tape, for example, because many players have not even played. Uh, you know, college guys have just started recently playing, and even then so, not all of them have, have returned to the ice. So what are some of the unique challenges that 2020 has brought in terms of trying to put that list together? Yeah, and, and so you alluded to a few of them, and that is that players haven't been playing. Um, outside of major junior in the Quebec League, no major junior has um, played as well. And we normally have a couple players from major junior. Uh, Nick Robertson last year as one um, who is likely to return for us. Um, but guys are signing contracts earlier, which is the number one challenge, I would I would say. Um, those would be uh, Alex Turcotte, Trevor Zegris, Arthur Kaliev, and Nick Robertson, as I just stated. Um, you know, they would 
likely be targeted to go to an American Hockey League club. Um, and at this point, nobody's played. So um, the challenges from the summer, so I'll take you back to just July where we normally have um, Team Canada, Team Sweden, and Team Finland uh, coming to the United States for a summer uh, tournament. And it's a friendly tournament, but it helps us bring in a lot of players so that we can see uh, when the jerseys change and you start playing against the, the Swedes or Team Canada or Finland, uh, the players tend to uh, operate a little differently than they do just playing against <laughs> each other. So, you know, there's a real challenge with that because of the factor of going from summer hockey and just playing shinny, uh, but then not having it at all. So, it's hard for our coaching staff to get to know the players. Um, of course, everybody knows them on tape. Um, they see them play, but then the inner workings of uh, getting to know a player, uh, what makes them tick, um, what's the best fit for them. And then when they're on a team like this, you know, these are the next future stars um, coming forward. And how do they, you know, how does that chemistry fit? And each year it plays out differently. Uh, the style of play, uh, the type of coach we have, how we're going to play uh, within a system. And all those things are, are upon us now, but they haven't developed over time. Now we're in a sprint. It feels like it's a thousand meter hurdle and our groins are sore. <laughs> and John, you know, the reason you're such a great goaltender was you, you had vision and you had, um, you could concentrate on uh, on the shooter. So now going from a GM in Muskegon, like your, your vision and your range of vision has to change. And you mentioned having 90 board members on the team. So over the two years you've been in the seat, like any aha minutes, anything unexpected or, or surprising with respect to the first two years in your role with USA hockey. Well, I mean, I got a lot of aha moments and they're usually uh, slapping me on the fanny you know, teaching me a new, um, a new set of, of tricks that I gotta, I gotta learn. There's so much communication within the, mm -hmm. not only the organization, but internationally. Right. So that's a whole different aspect when you deal with international, uh, people and the IIHF, which is, you know, the governing body and then mm -hmm. how it leads into the, the progress, which flows into the Olympics. But on the world stage, um, it's, it's a real big world of hockey. And um, as you know, uh, some of the European leagues are getting a lot of attention uh, oh. these days. The, the DEL in Germany, you know, and the KHL in Russia, and uh, Finland and, and Sweden have their own leagues. And uh, they do a great job with them. Switzerland's league has been very powerful. And they don't get a lot of attention over the United States. So that takes a lot to get to know and the inner workings, the people mm -hmm. developing relationships. So I think, I think it's developing relationships and you can't just as a goalie, you know, as you go into a game and you talk about focus or zone, you can't just focus on yourself. You have to widen your vision and, and really focus on everybody else. Now, John, obviously, you're, you're happy with the, the the group of 29 that you're uh, that you're bringing to camp. So this isn't specifically about the makeup of this team, but just a broader question. We've talked about it a little bit on the program over the past month or so. 
I think that there might be a competitive advantage for some of the European teams heading into the tournament this year simply because the North American players haven't been getting the playing time like we've been talking about. I'm just curious if you sort of maybe have some of the same concerns. And and even Team Canada, prior to them being shut down, you know, their camp was an extended camp. Uh, We had heard some rumors that USA might have been at one point looking to do the same thing. Just to follow up on your your point from a moment ago, any any thoughts at all to theoretically the the European teams maybe having a little bit of of a leg up heading into the tournament? Yeah, you know, I I don't want to get into that and and make excuses for ourselves, but, you know, Team Russia played their U-20 team in the Cariela Cup, Mm -hmm. which has never happened before, and they did it with a purpose. And Igor Larionov, who's, you know, the coach of that team, is is not, you know, uh, an unwise person. He knows that just like, and really what it does is what I'm trying to say is it confirms the fact like you need to get the group together. Um, a longer period of time is our, always better, but you know, Finland and Sweden and, and Switzerland and, and Germany to a certain extent all rely on their club teams, their pro teams to, you know, release players. We rely on college hockey primarily to release players. So the good news for us is that a lot of our players have been playing and, um, you know, with that comes the fact of how do we then look at it as a group. And, you know, some of them obviously haven't been playing, but primarily most of them have. Um, Is our great concern that the other countries have an advantage? I mean, we're always looking at that, but we're always looking for an edge too. I mean, it could be a positive thing. There's less wear and tear. We have less injury going into the tournament. Um, there's also the po- positive, um, you know, piece is that they could be more hungry and want to compete harder. And I believe that that's the case. I think we have a very competitive team. Um, you know, we have a, a, a nice dynamic on our team and blend of players. All right. I like the optimistic view. That's good. Uh, back to the sort of the, the, the putting of the team together and selecting the names. Uh, Dean Lombardi, who obviously was the GM in Los Angeles for a long time, he was pretty open with us at different moments and saying that he did lobby uh, on behalf of his players and in, in, in contacting different groups, including USA Hockey, uh, back for the World Cup and World Juniors and whatnot. Um, you've played with a number of, of former players or, or guys that are now in management roles, Ron Francis, and uh, who you played with all the way back in junior hockey and a bunch of other guys when you were with the Rangers. I'm just curious, any of those guys, have they, were they called without naming names? Were, were they calling you and lobbying you? And have you experienced that sort of side of things? Well, this, this year is different on that. So the, the lobby factor, I would say no, uh, other than the, co- they were, the cooperation factor was there. Um, you know, we are very appreciative of our relationship with the national hockey league. And as you mentioned, a lot of colleagues, out there that are running teams now um you know los angeles kings for one is we have two players coming from from them in turcotte and kaliev which they were very accommodating especially well ahead of any decision being made by the national hockey league kyle dubas very accommodating with nick robertson and and uh, bob murray very accommodating with trevor zegers so you know i i think that they want the players to play in this tournament um you know the cooperation that we get with the colleges too and i mean it's it was very difficult taking five guys from mel pearson's um, university of michigan team you know because now they have to play a couple games 
you know, without those players. And that affects in a short season, that really affects where they, where they are in the standing. So we have, it's a delicate balance. Uh, we're, we, uh, we're very grateful to everybody that we um, cooperate with and they cooperate with us. So, um, but we get, you know, we have um, a growing number of players now. I mean, we have over 200 and, 20 players playing regularly in the national hockey league. So our body is getting bigger. Um, and, and these players are going to be the next piece of that body. Beezer, it sounds like you might be protecting Luke Robitaille here a little bit. I know you guys never played together, but you played against him. I, I believe at the outdoor game, the original outdoor game back in <laughs> Las Vegas. Uh, and from what I understand, did my homework here from what I understand, you called Luke to congratulate him when he was hired in Los Angeles. So you're telling me that lucky yeah. didn't return the favor and maybe lobby a couple texts, uh, just, just to, you know, make sure that his guys were on the team. Well, he always scores on me. So he's probably still <laughs> giggling about all those goals that he scored. So he's probably going to keep it to a text, but you know, all the guys are very cooperative and, um, you know, it, it's it's amazing. Without the games going on, they're also very extremely busy. Mm-hmm. I can't believe how much work is going into uh, the extenuating circumstances surrounding the National Hockey League. And as we all want the players to come back and play, you know, there's um, it, there's kind of shoehorn effect going on right now as we try to fit a season in. But the good news about the World Juniors um, in the tournament you know, on the NHL network here in the United States is the fact that these players are going to be showcased. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're very, very proud of that in our relationship with the National Hockey League that we could have our players in the United States showcased. That that wasn't necessarily the case decades ago. You know, we, we were always trying to find another step up the ladder to showcase our players. And now they're some of the best players on, on teams in the National Hockey League. So we're very grateful for that. So it sounds like that uh, you're doing the same thing I've been doing. For the last month or so, I've been texting Bettman, telling him, make sure that the NHL season starts after January 6th. Let's let the whole hockey world focus on the World Juniors for these next uh, couple of weeks here after Christmas, and then we can get on with the NHL. Yeah, that, you know, that seems to be a good fit, but I think he's got his hands full with with a group of owners who – quite frankly, want to get back to the season, but want to make some money. And, you know, it's been a very struggle under the COVID conditions to, you know, watch and look at all sports, having empty buildings. And we're going into the bubble and we can't have any fans there. And, you know, we, we wonder about the enthusiasm of the players too, and how they're going to react. They're not, they're not pros yet. You know, they, um, you know, the pro mentality really revolves around fans and, and, in that emotion. So we're, we're hopeful that we can, you know, build our own emotion. Yeah. Just a little more on the USA hockey side of things. Uh, back in February, of course, the Kings played an outdoor game in Colorado, uh, Colorado Springs. And we were fortunate enough. I spent about three hours with uh, USA hockey legend, Lou Vero, just stories and stories for days. And of course he talked about uh, your 82 world junior team. Um, of course, which had Phil Housley, Chris Chelios, a guy named Corey Millen as well. Um, mm-hmm. Just, just uh, wondering uh, if you've ever spent some time with Lou and just uh, if he's bent your ear with, with his tremendous, uh, uh, you know, vast uh, uh, stories. Of course, you know, <laughs> Lou's the godfather of USA hockey and, um, you know, who hasn't he told a story to really? I mean, he, he's legendary for a story. He'll tell you that he started the ADM program too. And he <laughs> did it on his desk on a sheet of paper and he, 
he showed me that one day. But, um, you know, Lou's been a great pioneer for USA Hockey. He is very well respected around the world. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, fondly of Lou and playing for him on that 82 team. And we had some good players. We really did. But we've come a long way and our game has developed well. And, and um, you know, we just our, – our lines are full of, of tough selections as we move down this list now. And it's always div- difficult to have to, you know, look people in the eye and and um, and let them go on that last day. So, but, you know, Lou has always been very um, kind to me. Uh, he's a very rewarding guy to be around because, he, you know, he gives you a lot of wisdom and a lot of certainty he's done a lot for the game you know on on all sides of it and um it's good that he's still involved Tony, you mentioned um the, the kids reaction to playing um in the bubble up in edmonton i was fortunate enough to attend the cup final and yes it's a strange and weird experience from a player perspective have you ever played in in arenas where there have been no people well I mean, that's a good question. I mean, um, I would say no. I mean, you're, you're, you know, I can't recall ever being under this type of um, realm where, you know, it, it has such a level, high level of importance, but there's nobody in the building to um, confirm that importance. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, it, I don't know how to take it other than the fact that I watched a lot of the hockey games in the bubble and, I thought the players competed hard. They didn't let up for a second. And as things unwinded, you know, the best team um, always seems to win, right? I mean, there's Stanley Cup champions, but there's others that that you really see vying for for that through good play and rising stars that are coming through. And, you know, that's what I like to look at now are a lot of young players that um, on all sides of the border. Canadians, Swedes, Finns, you just, you love to see all the great players coming in the National Hockey League. I mean, I, I know that there's so many um, players to follow now that it's hard to keep track of it, so I'm glad I don't play fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Beezer, let's wrap up today with uh, some questions related to the three players that have ties to the Los Angeles Kings organization. The first two you already mentioned, which would be Arthur Kaliev and uh, Alex Turcott. Um, just these are two players that played on the on the team last year, and I'm I'm curious how much attention is spent on their play the prior year in the tournament versus maybe their overall play, you know, with their regular clubs. Yeah, no, that's uh, experience, right? I mean, we, you can only have a couple years experience playing this tournament, but when you go back to it and have another chance at it, I think that um, their experience will come through. Um, you know, Arthur, um, for instance, has got a great stick. He's a great guy on the power play. And, um, you know, he's he's a big body. And uh, this tournament still, you know, demands strength. And, and not only that, it, it demands a lot of finesse. And, and Arthur, you know, has that. And Alex has a great speed game. He's a good centerman. And uh, he competes really hard. And uh, he brings that new element to the game that everybody wants and that speed. And, um, you know, making plays at speed isn't, isn't that easy because you got to think that fast. And, and for younger players, it takes a little bit uh, you know, more time to find the lanes and find that out. But Alex's game is really maturing. So 
you know, LA has two really uh, big time players coming their way. And, you know, when you return to the tournament, we're hoping that they come our way for team USA here really shortly and uh, can be, you know, scorers in the tournament. You got to score to win. We believe that our lineup has good balance in that, in that category. Now, back on the blue line uh, out of the University of Minnesota, Brock Faber, who was a Kings draft pick uh, a couple of months ago, and then and then also Ryan Johnson. He's a Sabres uh, prospect, but he's the son of Craig Johnson, the coach here in Los Angeles. Those two are yep. paired together at the University of Minnesota, and I'm just uh, curious going in, uh, when you look at how hot you know they've been here to start the, the college hockey season, is there a thought of putting those two together for Team USA? There is, and they've been very good. I've watched them play a bunch in the last few uh, days and weeks. So, I mean, their game and their team's emerging. they got a great skating team. Um, they play on a big sheet, and, you know, the, their team plays a real quick game, and Bob Mosko, a former gold medalist with this team, mm-hmm. uh, has been a good guy to lean on. Um, I've talked to Bob on many occasions about, um, the three defensemen coming from the University of Minnesota, and the third one is Jackson Lacombe. So um, all of them, I think, are going to be factors in one way, shape, or form. But Brock is really emerging. He's probably been the biggest surprise, I think, going into this, you know, as I alluded to earlier uh, for your listeners, is, is the fact that you're looking for a, a player that can jump into college hockey and really have a nice bump, and that's been Brock Faber. Yeah, for sure. With 29 players uh, and only being able to carry 25, even though it's a little bit more than normal, uh, that leaves you four cuts. What, what's the thought process going in? Is it probably one defenseman that'll be cut and, and three forwards? Yeah, we're going to carry eight defensemen into the tournament. Um, we can normally dress seven and we'll have 14 forwards. So 14, eight, and three will be our number uh, numbers going in. Um, unless something unusual happens. And, um, you know, there's been so many unusual things that have been happening on the way in, so <laughs> you never know what tomorrow's going to bring. But I, I think that um, that's our, our dynamic right now, and uh, we, we have a very versatile team. Well, Beezer, we're really looking forward to it. As I said at the top of the uh, the interview here, it, for, in, for my money, the World Junior Championships is the absolute best hockey tournament on the planet. Can't wait uh, to see Team USA get going here. Uh, before we let you go, one last question. I know it was all supposed to be USA hockey and World Juniors related today, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about one particular player because in New York, you played with practically half of the LA Kings roster. You played with uh, Bernie Nichols, Granado, Mark, uh, Mark Hardy, Marcel Dion, Mike Donnelly, Ron Duguay, there's a whole bunch of former Kings, but there's one in particular I have to ask you about. I think the most underrated player in LA Kings history, and that's Tomas Sandstrom. Yeah, Tomas. Um, Tomas Sandstrom, I can't believe they traded him when they did, but I uh, had a tremendous shot. He was a very, very lanky type long player. And, um, you know, it's funny enough, I mean, Thomas, uh, I saw him a few years ago. We went back for a Ranger reunion, and uh, he is one guy that broke my jaw with a slap shot in practice, and I never forgave him for it, so I had to (laughs) forgive him that night. He actually got off his wallet and bought me dinner, too, so the Swedes aren't known for getting off their wallet, but he did that night. But Thomas is a wonderful guy. He's now a carpenter back there and a fireman back in Sweden. It just shows you that he's, he's very humble. He always was a very humble guy. 
All right. So when this tournament is all over and Team USA takes home the gold, we're going to have you back on Kings of the Podcast, and you can tell us about the experience from the other side. It would be an honor. All right. Thanks, John. Really appreciate it. There you go. John Van Beesbrook, Team USA. The World Junior Championships gets underway on Christmas Day on NHL Network. You can watch it. We'll be back after the break and talk more hot. back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. DB, any reaction there to uh, John Van Beesbrook talking about Team USA and the World Junior Championships? Yeah, I'm more excited about seeing the tournament, John. I mean, uh, very interesting path that uh, Beesbrook's taken to get to the position he is right now with USA Hockey. But uh, certainly to talk to the GM in the selection process was really informative. And like I said, I can't wait for uh, December 25th so we can start watching the games. Yes, it's coming up quickly, and uh, it's going to be exciting. We'll have to see if 11 LA Kings prospects can make the tournament. But, you know, it really doesn't matter. Regardless of how many guys make it, all hockey fans should be watching this tournament because it's the future stars of the NHL. I mean, you just go down the list, Dennis. Anybody who's anybody who's played in the National Hockey League, nearly all of them, 95-plus percent of them, have played in the World Junior Tournament at one point. Um, and, and as Beezer talked about, it is a tournament that has certainly risen in its, its level of importance and the exposure in the last couple of decades. I'm sure that when he was playing in 82, that was not on TV, definitely not in the States. And you think about the fact oh. now we're talking about exhibition games for the tournament being on the uh, television here in North America. So just a, a wonderful time for the World Junior Tournament. And the IIHF has done uh, a lot to push that tournament uh, over the last uh, 10 years or so. And look, there's a clear path to watching the games. There's no, if you're a hockey fan, there's no excuse not to watch it. Unless you don't get the NHL network for some reason, you might be able to find a feed online. But it's a great time to watch it. And again, I, I just think the awareness around this tournament, John, as you said, go back three to five years and see who played in this tournament. There's stars in the league right now. So to not to skip this and not watch it because there's still kids who haven't proven themselves in the NHL, uh, that's a mistake by fans. So, yeah, definitely tune in and watch it. And you mentioned all the propensity of all the Kings prospects. That makes it even more of a watch for uh, for our listeners and fans. Yeah, for sure. We have some Kings news and notes to get to here on the other side. Uh, first, I just wanted to tell you about Manscaped TV because the Perfect Package 3.0 is now available, which is a great holiday gift. And, of course, Manscaped has been uh, supporting Kings of the Podcast here for quite some time, so we hope that our fans and listeners will – uh, support Manscaped as well. So if you're looking for the perfect gift as Christmas approaches or uh, any of your other holidays that you need to uh, pick up something for, check out the Perfect Package 3.0. It's uh, from Manscaped, and you get a copy, or not a copy, but you get the actual Lawnmower 3.0. It's designed to reduce cuts and make for a smooth trim. That's their 7,000 RPM trimmer. Uh, it helps to reduce accidents, uh, which is great. Um, in addition, you'll get some other uh, liquid options that are in there in the perfect package. You get things like the Crop Preserver, which is the deal 
deodorant. You get the Crop Reviver, which is the toner. All of this is designed to reduce uh, chafing when you wear the boxers as well. You get some boxers. You get a T-shirt. Um, and again, if you're if you're into this sort of thing, the formulations are all vegan, uh, cruelty-free, dye-free, sulfate-free, so you know that your manhood is in good hands. Save 20% and get free shipping on us, guys. Just use the code KOTP2020 over at manscaped.com. Again, you'll get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code KOTP2020. Outstanding, Dennis. Uh, from what I understand from the folks at Manscaped, our listeners uh, have been buying up the lawnmower 3.0 so that's great we we like to hear all i that. think it's because of the led don't forget the <laughs> led light john my favorite component you know <laughs> and it's not just yeah, you keep pushing that led light they're gonna end up it's gonna it's gonna be on the packaging for 2021 it's gonna be like endorsed by dennis bernstein uh kentucky derby winner uh dennis bernstein it'll exactly. be, it'll be, exactly. on, be on the package and you know john it's funny because you mentioned it's not just the, you're not just getting the trimmer the box is amazing. If you've seen the, the all the uh, collateral um, uh, product that they put in the box, it's a really nice, and especially this time of year, it would be a great gift for for the the, the man in your life that needs uh, some help with respect to his grooming. Yes, absolutely. It is the best below-the-waist man's, uh, men's, man's, men's grooming tool. Uh, and like you said, it does come with a lot of stuff in the package. So uh, check it out, manscaped.com. Use our code KOTP2020. Uh, now, Dennis, there's, there's some other stuff to talk about related to, uh, related to the world of hockey, of course. <clears throat> uh, as, I, as I've been sort of looking ahead to next season, Dennis, uh, I'm also reminded, you know, we have this writer, uh, the King Storian on mayorsmanner.com, puts out a daily article with sort of the, the history of the L.A. Kings, things that happen on, on that particular day, if you will. And uh, coming up this weekend is interesting because right. it's going to be the anniversary of Jonathan Quick's NHL debut. And so that was a big win, by the way. It was a 8-2 win against the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, more on that later. Um, really that got me down a wormhole of looking at different milestones and different things um, because today we're recording this on December 1st. Uh, back on this day in 1992, Kelly Rudy had 44 saves to earn his 200th career win with the LA, uh, with the LA Kings. Uh, Corey Millen and Tony Granato each scored two goals. Uh, that was at a neutral site game. So I had a couple of things I wanted to talk about. That was a neutral site game at the Bradley Center in Milwaukee. And... Um, you know, I think we talked about this a year ago, DB, but uh, I want to bring it up again only because with the NHL now looking for new revenue streams coming out of the pandemic, playing in all of these empty arenas and whatnot, uh, and, and again, trying to to help prop up the you know financial structure of the league, I am a big proponent of these neutral site games. Now, I know that... Um, you know, there's there, there are a couple different ways to slice this, right? So the NHL, they can play an 82-game season with 80 games in their home arenas and two games at neutral site, or they could even go and do what they did, uh, you know, a couple decades ago. They went to an 84-game season with the two games tacked on being in the neutral site so that the home arena owners did not lose any of the games. And I know they tried to right. modify it a little bit and do the preseason games in the um, neutral site, and, and I think that's great. Uh, you know, it is it is one way, but man, getting a regular season NHL game in some of these other barns is just phenomenal for those local markets, and I think it helps grow the game. 
It's new revenue. Um, and it, it also comes with some pretty fascinating backstories from a television presentation standpoint where you can talk about the history of that particular city or whatnot. And I remember attending uh, Kings games in San Diego, in uh, Sacramento at the old Arco Arena many, many moons ago. Uh, Kings Oilers game that took place up there. And so a number of different uh, buildings like this. Kansas City hosted some games for a while. And then, of course, this game in 92 was at the Bradley Center in Milwaukee. Um, curious your thoughts on neutral site games and or if you had ever even attended a neutral site game. I've never attended a neutral site game indoors, right? Outdoors, obviously, okay. you know, in a classic sure. like that. But I, yeah, you could do it. Like you could take Columbus and send them up to Cleveland, have them play in the Cleveland or anywhere the Cavaliers play. So yeah, I think anything to go outside the box, John, to not only create revenue, but expand the footprint of the um, league, I'm all for it. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. It'd be tricky to do it this season. I think we'd have to get on the other side of this in the 21-22 season. At that point in time, you want to experiment and drive uh, revenue outside these markets. Yeah, it, it would have to have some import with respect to the market. Like if you want to do a game in Milwaukee, it's probably going to have to be Chicago and Troy, some some local flavor with respect to those. But I, I'm, I'm all for it, and I think it makes sense. And I agree from a storytelling standpoint, to go back to the history, because there's history – in any of the markets, you would put the lineage of NHL or just hockey in general in those markets where they don't currently have an NHL team would be great. And also, they could probably play a game in Houston because <laughs> some teams definitely going to wind up there someday. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, I think it also ties into this reverse retro thing with the jersey. I agree with you, by the way, that doing it this year is, you know, it's impossible. It's not even on the table. But you'd look at some of these reverse retro jerseys and, you you know, whether you're talking about the, the Nordiques or whether you're talking about the Whalers or just some of the mm-hmm. history, you can go back to teams that are defunct and that did not, you know, that are no longer, uh, that don't exist anymore. And you can tell some great and wonderful stories about cities that the NHL has been or cities that the NHL might eventually grow into. Uh, I just think there's a lot going on there. So so it would be really uh, fascinating for them to do more neutral site games and help grow the game. And and it could be, uh, I, I know that there's a lot of money to be made on outdoor games, but maybe you could find a way to, you know, sort of make this the next evolution of the neutral site game um, without, you know, uh, the, the general yeah. public having such a negative. Im- it's so funny. Uh, when, when it comes to stadium series games, Dennis, the two teams that are in the outdoor game, they absolutely love the thought of it, and their fans flock to it. Uh, you know, the, right. the merchandise lines are a mile long. We saw that in Colorado. We've seen it in, in other games before. But why fans of other teams choose to complain about it when it doesn't impact right. their teams has always sort of given me a chuckle um, because the minute that their team ends up getting <laughs> one of the games, they're all for it. So it's They're little, all in, exactly. Yeah, it's, a, it's a little bit hypocritical, but... Um, DB, where I was going uh, with sort of these milestones and whatnot was I started looking uh, over the list of things. And when it comes to points in terms of all time here in Los Angeles among the Kings, uh, Marcel Dion, of course, number one with more than 1,300 points. Luke, number two, with more than 1,100 points. So quite a gap there between Dion and and Robitaille. Taylor is in third place at 1069. Obviously, he's not going to be adding to his totals anytime soon. so, So those three are somewhat locked in with their point totals. But Anche Kopitar, he's number four. He has 950 points, so he's close to 1,000, and you have to figure that he would have crossed the 1,000-point mark, which is a big deal. It's a big milestone in the NHL, and he would have crossed that this coming season, but now you have to wonder if if the season's going to be more like a 48- to 50-game season, there's a good chance that he, I mean, unless he has an offensive explosion, you could say, well, it's not a guarantee that he's going to hit the 1,000-point 
plateau this year, and maybe that's a good thing from a fan perspective because you wait and do it the fo- not that he wants to wait, but if if it happens to ha- uh, you know take place the following season with fans back in sure. the building, that might be a little bit more exciting for fans of the LA Kings. Yeah, totally, hundred percent, and I agree with you. I, I don't think the way this is uh, unfolding that he, he's going to go to a thousand this year. Okay, if he does. <laughs> They're going to win the division, let's put it that way. But uh, other than that, I agree with you. You would prefer to have this in front of the fans and all these these milestones that hit you would prefer. Um, and I just think that would trend into his 48 games anyway, to be totally frank. Uh, but, yeah, it'd be good to see him do in front of the fans because, you know, the players want to play in front of fans. That's not – like, they want to get paid. They want to play the season. They're ready to go. Some of the guys are back in L.A. right now. Uh, but, again, it's – John, this game is not the same – without fans it's it's drastically different when i sat in that arena in in edmonton and watched the stanley cup final it it was great to see but it's just a drastically different game without fans in the stands this this, this game that we love yeah for sure now one thing that he will do this year uh, this season coming up dennis is he's fourth on the assist mark with 617 he will pass dave taylor who's directly in front of him at 638 but then he has a ways to go to move he, he would then be in third, but he's going to have a ways to go before he advances into the into the top two uh, because Marcel Dion uh, is at the top with 757, so that's, you know, 130-plus away. And then uh, directly in front of him, though, would be Wayne Gretzky with 672. So, you know, if he picks up, just make up a number. If he picks up 30 assists this season, I don't know what the number will be, but if he picked up 30, he'd be at 647 and Wayne is still quite a ways ahead of him at 672. So probably not uh, uh, going to move into the th- third spot this year, but he could pass Dave Taylor very easily going from 617 yeah. up to 638. That's, what, 21 um, assists. So he should he should move past Dave Taylor. Interesting. Looking on the goal side of things real quickly, DB, I have a couple comments here. Obviously, Luke is number one. Everybody should know that number, 557. Uh, Marcel Dion, second most goals in LA Kings history at 550. A little interesting footnote, Dennis. Do you happen to know who the Kings' opponent uh, was the night that Luke broke the record? San Jose. No, I believe it was the Atlanta Thrashers. So little <laughs> little little footnote there. Uh, Luke might have scored a hat trick that game. He definitely had two, but he might have scored a hat trick. I'm going to have to go back and look that up, or somebody can tweet that to me. Uh, But yes, so you have Luke 557, uh, Marcel at 550, Dave Taylor third at 431, and then you have Andre at 333. So he definitely is not going, I mean, I shouldn't say definitely, because who knows what he has up his sleeve, but I do not anticipate him passing Dave Taylor this coming no. season. That's no. correct. A hundred goals. If he does, we got a huge story. He's got to come back on. He's got to be a regular guest if he's going to yeah. pass him this That's, season. I mean, uh, yeah, a hundred goals. It's it's probably not yeah, going to happen no. in the upcoming season. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say that is a that is go a, out of the limit. Yeah, that's that. a that's exactly. a mayor ruling on that one there. Uh, <laughs> Bernie Nichols is number five at three twenty seven. Dennis, did you know that Dustin Brown is number six all time? Number six all-time on the LA Kings goal sheet. He has 299 goals, so he's going to hit the 300 plateau uh, with his next goal, which is great. He would only be the sixth player in in a Kings uniform to score 300 goals uh, with Los Angeles. But he's probably not going to get past Bernie because, you know, at 327, that's 28 goals just to tie him from where he sits right now. 28 goals in a 50-game season doesn't seem like a proper output from Dustin Brown, but... 
hey, stranger things have happened. Uh, Luke Robitaille scored 68 goals one year when uh, Gretzky was out. That was the 92-93 season. So um, moving down the list, I wanted to point something out, though, Dennis. Mike Murphy's on the list at number 10 with 263. He is the 10th player of the 10 players, so only 10 in history, that have scored 200 goals in the Kings uniform, which seems interesting to me. Only 10 players. Number 11 on the all-time list is Jeff Carter. He's at 178. And here's what I wonder with Jeff Carter's contract situation and where the future of his career is going. And with this shortened season coming up, he's at 178. He's going to get to 200, right? Uh, he should. He should get to 200, which would make him only the 11th player in, in Kings history to get the 200 mark. But I don't think he's going to catch Mike Murphy, so I don't think he's going to crack the top 10. He right now is nearly 100 goals. He's roughly, let's just call it 85 goals away from Mike Murphy. He's only scored 178. I don't think he's going to tack on another 85 in his Kings career. No, no. He's got, and he's got one year after this left on his contract. I don't see him playing past 21-22. So, yeah, he would have to, like you said, he had to have to do something. He had to revert to his 25-year-old Jeff Carter if we would ever have a chance to see him being close to that. But I, I agree with you. So for Carter's sake, I hope he gets to 200. That would be a nice milestone. And as I mentioned, he would only be yep. the 11th player in Kings history, which is a, a, a rather rare feat here in Los Angeles. Back to the points total here real quickly. Um, Butch Goring is number seventh on the points total at 659. Dustin Brown is at 653. So Brown is not only going to hit his 300th goal this coming season, but he can pass and should pass Butch Goring. Uh, for seventh place all time on points, just further cementing, you know, his place in LA Kings history, which of course we all know he's his 23 will go to the rafters eventually. It's actually though looking a little bit further down the list here that I stumbled upon something that actually shocked me. At 14 is Froloff, and at 15 is Jeff Carter. Here's what's interesting, Dennis. Look at how similar these lines are. Froloff. 536 games played for the Kings. Jeff Carter, 540 games played. Okay, they played the same number of games. In my wildest dreams, I would have never imagined or remembered that Froloff has more points in those games than Jeff Carter. It just doesn't seem possible to me. Froloff had 381 points in his games, and Carter's had 364. So about 20 points more, almost 20 points more for Froloff. Now, uh... Carter does have more goals, 168 for Froloff to 186 for Carter. And I know math is hard, especially uh, while you're listening to a podcast. So just put it this way, guys. In about 535 games for both players, uh, Froloff has about 20 more points than Carter. I don't think anybody listening would have predicted that blindly. Like even the best trivia person, who has more points in the Kings uniform, Jeff Carter or Froloff? This has to be a case of recency bias, right? Yeah, some, but some of us, you know, some of those years, Jeff Carter, you know, was in running for the Cy Young, right? Like more goals in the, and and it goes to the point that despite him playing center, Jeff Carter's a goal scorer. Mm -hmm. That's what he is. He's not the greatest facilitator in the world. Like he had traction with the seventies with that seventies line, but he's really a goal scorer first and foremost. So to me, it's well, it's surprising because you didn't think of Froloff as that type of player. You thought of Jeff Carter as the more dynamic player. Mm -hmm. That's what you would think of, and he's had a long career as well. So that's surprising. It's not surprising on the goals because I've always looked at at Jeff as a, a shooter first and a goal scorer first. 
hashtag all he does is score. See, that's, there you go. There's, see? A, there's there a reason. Okay. There's a reason why. Oh boy, just imagine if Twitter was around back in the vote for Lubo and 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 the days of Froloff. You know, hashtag sweater game. I mean, there's been so many great hashtags that could have existed back then. Uh, Dennis, it's been another wonderful episode. I want to wrap up with uh, one more points uh, sort of comment here, and it has to do with the last question that I asked John Van Beesbrook, and it's about Tomas Sandstrom. You know, I'm always beating the drum of Sandstrom the most underrated player in LA Kings history. I want to give you something. And this is not to knock any other player. This is just to point out how strong the case is for Tomas Sandstrom. 254 points in 235 games. A more than point per game player while he was a member of the LA Kings. Some of that, uh, you know, wonderful stuff happened in the playoffs after they broke his knee and all sorts of stuff. But 254 points in uh, 235 regular season games. And check this out. You want some benchmarks? Tyler Toffoli. 290 points in 515 games. Right. Jeff Carter, 364 points in 540 games. Butch Goring, 649 points in 736 games. Those are all dynamic offensive players. None of them points per game, uh, point per game producers the same way that Tomas Sandstrom was. It's really too bad, Dennis, because if the Kings would have won the 93 Stanley Cup, obviously that would have been wonderful for the franchise, uh, but it would not really have done anything to further cement the career of a guy like Wayne Gretzky or Luke Robitaille or a Rob Blake. Right. Those guys all went to the Hall of Fame. Their numbers have been retired. And I'm not suggesting that Sandstrom's number would have ever been retired in L.A. or that he would have been to the Hall of Fame. But if that team would have won the 93 Stanley Cup, I think it definitely would have elevated uh, his standings in L.A. Kings history. Yeah, you know, John, his 90-91 season, when you look at the numbers, they're amazing. He, what, 45 goals, 89 points, but at a 20, he shot 20.4%. And on top of that, he had 106 penalty minutes. So this guy went in the box, scored goals, was an incredible shooter. That season statistically is, is fantastic. And plus 32 even strength goals. So this cat, like, I, there's a reason he's underrated because at his prime, he was one of the most dangerous players in the league for sure. And also remember one thing, Dennis, that team was the first team to only to ever win the division in L.A. Kings history. And that was right. the, the, the benchmark of Kings teams in terms of points produced and who was driving the bus most nights for the L.A. Kings during that remarkable 90-91 season. Uh, and it was Tomas Sandstrom. So uh, one of these days we'll have to get the firemen on the program. I, you know, it's too bad that the uh, Kings of the podcast did not exist a couple of years ago because the, the Kings, or excuse me, the Ontario Reign uh, played an outdoor game in Bakersfield. And prior to the game, there was a, an alumni game featuring the alumni of the LA Kings against the Oilers. And really too bad because originally um, uh, Blake was going to play in that game uh, and Robitaille, I believe, and uh, uh, Gretzky was going to play. And then um, Luke ended up having a freak injury. He'd, he had never been injured. He was injured in, in, in the corner uh, at practice at TSC and uh, he ended up not playing. And then uh, Gretzky uh, said, well, I'm not going to play. And they decided they were going to coach, which is, I mean, it would have been amazing to see sure. Wayne playing in oh, Bakersfield yeah. outdoors. Come on. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, Sandstrom was there that night, had a chance to talk to him and, and, and catch up and do some stuff. But uh, of course, if Kings of the podcast had existed back then, we would have done a live remote from the Bakersfield outdoor game. We definitely would have had you there, uh, Dennis, for the Ontario Rain outdoor game in Bakersfield uh, for a Kings of the podcast road trip. And we could have had Sandstrom on the program. So it didn't happen, though. So we'll have to make it happen at some point in the future, DB. Absolutely, John. Let's do it. 
Thank you to all the listeners for uh, tuning in. As mentioned at the top of the program, coming up later this week, we will have Arthur Callia. The Artie Party will join us here on Kings of the Podcast to talk about World Junior Hockey and all things 2020. Uh, until then, be safe, everybody, and we'll talk to you soon. at Macy's, get great deals on fashion and home essentials. Update your wardrobe with 20% off new spring shoes and sneakers and 20-50% to 50% off fresh looks for him and her. Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection bedding, now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. More at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices, exclusions apply.